Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, if you are visiting this morning, we've been on a bit of a journey for the past few months uh, called Core 52. So this is a devotional written by a guy named Mark Moore. Uh, essentially, what we're doing is we're going through 52 core themes that are in the Bible that if you understand these themes, you'll kind of see how it paints this picture all the way through Scripture and how it all ties together. Uh, and each theme has a core verse, uh, which we focus on. Uh, so we've been going through this for a few months now, uh, and today we are going to talk about atonement, which is another one of those really big kind of churchy words uh, that we say often, but we just assume everyone understands. We never really take the time to define it or to explain it. It's also a word that we can't truly appreciate without digging into its uh, background, uh, where it came from. Uh, so we have to kind of look at the language and the culture behind it as well. So there's a Bible dictionary uh, that I use often, Eerdmans, and it describes atonement this way. Reconciliation between estranged parties, bringing them to agreement, a requirement of sacrifice, substitution, mediation, and judgment, to atone by offering a substitute. Now that is a biblical concept that is so foundationally important for us to understand because it is central to everything that Jesus has done for us. So to truly understand the heart of the gospel, we need to understand atonement. And that is why it is one of the cores that we are studying. Our verse this morning comes from Isaiah 53, verse 5. Uh, and if, even if you're just joining us for a week, I'll encourage you, these, are, these core verses are our memory verses. So we're supposed to memorize them and meditate on them through the week. This one's a little easier. It's one that everyone has heard. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now there's a reason we read that passage at Easter every year. It captures the heart of the gospel, of what Jesus did. The reason why we have any hope at all of a relationship with God the Father. Any hope of freedom from sin. Now, before we can get too far into this concept, again, we have to kind of go back a little bit and talk about the significance of this, uh, this word, atonement, for the Jewish people. So first, we're going to talk about something called the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was a festival. Uh, it was this big day in the Jewish calendar. Here's what it says in Leviticus about the Day of Atonement. I know everyone loves Leviticus. Uh, it's my favorite book. So in chapter 23, verse 27 to 28, uh, the festivals and the feast days, they're all being established. It says, The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. So this day was a big big deal. It was the most solemn of all the holy days in the Jewish calendar. 
Now, while there's no temple today, it's actually still observed each year. Uh, it is called Yom Kippur. This year it is September 24th to 25th, if you are interested, from sundown the first day to sundown the second day. So on this day, the high priest would perform all of these elaborate rituals to atone for the sins of all the people. The high priest would have to bathe themselves in this ceremonial way and put on special clothes that were worn just for that one event. He would have to sacrifice a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And then, after that, he would take two male goats and present them to God. One would be given as a sin offering, and it had to be perfect, unblemished. The second was what they called the scapegoat, which they released into the desert, symbolically carrying the sins of the people. The blood of the sacrifice goat would be spilled onto this cover in the most holy place. And then the bull and the goat that had been sacrificed would be carried outside the camp and burned. So in Leviticus 16, 34, it says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year and for all the sins of the Israelites. So all of those sacrifices and rituals, uh, they worked together on the Day of Atonement to accomplish a few things specifically. And this is true for all the sacrifices and rituals that the Israelites made. First, they were meant to deter and turn Israel away from sin by making them repent repeatedly, constantly, constantly keeping it at the forefront of their mind. Second, they provided a payment for the cost or the debt of what they had done wrong. It had to be purchased. Third, they provided a symbolic purification for the community and for the temple from the sin of the people. And then fourth, all of those things allowed God to remain in his, to maintain his presence, sorry, with Israel without compromising his divine wrath and justice. So it allowed for them to have this covenantal relationship where God would live in their midst and they would be a special people. All of the various sacrifices and the purity rituals that they practice, they focus on different aspects of those four things, But the Day of Atonement wraps them all up into one vivid and very public display. Now when it says all the sins of the people for a whole year, just take a moment and think about your life, the sins you commit in, say, a day or a week. Now think about how many times you sin in a year. I don't know that number, uh, and I'm sure you don't either. Now that's just you as one person. You don't even know how many times you might sin in a year. Now think about Israel as a nation. You have all these people, however many, hundreds of thousands of people. There's no way that you could make a sacrifice for each and every sin that was committed one by one. There would just have been too much sin to cover. There wouldn't have been enough animals. They wouldn't have known how many to do. They would have had to keep going and going. And of course, there would have been sin that remained secret too, so they wouldn't have known all the sins that needed to be sacrificed for. There would have been sexual sins that were secret or idolatry or theft. So they couldn't have even actually counted if they had a way to do it. There still would have been hidden sin. So there's no way you can make a sacrifice for each sin. And that is where the Day of Atonement came in. Each year, the high priest would enter the temple and make these sacrifices. First for himself and for his family, 
and then for all of Israel as a nation. Now, this was their biggest event of the year. It was a very public festival. The entire community would shut down to witness this happen. Now, that is what the Day of Atonement was in history. Uh, That's the historical background of it, what its purpose was. It was an imperfect system uh, given to allow the Israelites to live in community and covenant with God. But it was never able to truly, permanently atone for all their sins. It was never able to reconcile them to God for eternity. It could never satisfy God's righteousness and wrath. So that brings us to today, uh, and what I would call our Day of Atonement, which we celebrate each Sunday when we remember the Lord's Supper. The atoning sacrifice that was made for all of us by Jesus on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the author says the old system under the law of Moses, that's the Day of Atonement, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So that old system, the Day of Atonement, could never provide perfect cleansing because the sacrifices were not enough. Jesus is the only fully adequate sacrifice who can satisfy God's wrath and justice. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4, 5, and 10 says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So Jesus is the only perfect and fully adequate sacrifice. In the Day of Atonement in Israel, the lamb that had to be sacrificed was perfect. There were no blemishes, no defects, nothing, no spots. It had to be absolutely perfect. And I think a few weeks ago we talked about that with the money changers, how it was hard to find these animals, so the temple conveniently sold them to you. Uh, But you had to use their special currency, and you could only get it from them, so they were ripping people off. Um, And they did that because the animals had to be perfect. So they were temple-approved. It had to be spotless, like Jesus, because Jesus was without sin. That is why we need Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, because that is not something that you or I can do or provide on our own. We are not sinless. If we were, we wouldn't need atonement. We would not need reconciliation with God. But Romans tells us that all have fallen short in sin, all of us. Even if you were to somehow pledge, here and now, today, that from now on, for the rest of your life, you would never sin again. Well, first of all, that's impossible. I don't believe you. You would fail. I can't do it. You would eventually sin. And the second thing is that it's too late already. Because once sin is introduced, it's too late. It doesn't matter. Even the best person you know can't do it because all have sinned. 
And so Jesus is the only perfect and fully adequate sacrifice. Now we can look back to the washing ceremony of the high priest as well. Remember, the first thing he had to do was bathe himself in this ceremonial way. It was a symbol of the cleansing that needed to happen for each one of us. And Jesus also fulfills this. Before it was the high priest who would bathe and put on these clean robes, but now Jesus cleanses us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 says, Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sin. So he cleanses all of us. He cleanses everybody. But it's important to understand, and this is kind of looking back to last week when we talked about wisdom. Without Jesus, you are still at odds with God as an individual. You see, through Jesus, your sin is forgiven. It's atoned for. But through Jesus, your salvation is individual. Now, we become part of a community, a body, us here today. But your acceptance of Jesus is individual. Your relationship and standing with Jesus is individual. It's a decision you have to make for yourself. It's a commitment that you have to make. And what I mean by that is that we as a church body or us as church leadership, we can't accept salvation on your behalf. I can't do that for you. Your family cannot accept it on your behalf. It's a decision and a commitment that you have to make personally. So the next thing we see is that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient for the sins of all who believe in him. And that's the piece right there, the individual choice that you have to make. You have to believe. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So it's all once and for all, but we still have an active part to play, to respond and to accept, to believe and live according to that belief. That is true biblical faith. We've talked about this before, especially when we were talking through James, but there is a big difference between knowing a fact in your head and truly believing, living according to that belief. Because you will act out what you believe. If you're standing out in the road and I say, there's a car coming over the hill at 110 kilometers an hour and if you do not move, it is going to hit you and you are going to die. And you say, okay, thanks for the information. And you stand there, I would say you don't believe me. (laughs) But if you're like, oh shoot, and jump out of the road so you don't die... That shows that you believe what I said. True belief acts out what it believes. If you truly believe that we need an atoning sacrifice because of our sin and that Jesus has called us to live a higher life, that he has given us the power to overcome sin and has released us from the chains of it, we will pursue that. We will live that out. Now looking back again to the Day of Atonement, remember I said there were two goats. There was the goat sacrifice as the sin offering, 
And then there was the goat that was the scapegoat. So the sin offering, we know that was Jesus. We remember it each week when we take the bread and the blood, or the, the juice. And then the scapegoat that's released into the desert, that's also fulfilled in Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 14 to 18 says, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day. I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So the scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness, symbolically carrying the burdens of the sins of the people. And the other goat was slain as an offering to God. That's why today the term scapegoat is uh, used to refer to anyone, any group, or any individual who innocently bears the blame of others. So Jesus is our sin offering, and Jesus is our scapegoat. He has borne all of this on himself. He is the perfect atoning sacrifice for all. Now, if you know anything about chess, you will know that it all comes down to the king when he's no longer able to move and avoid defeat. The whole point is to block the king so he can't move. And once the king is trapped, the winning player proclaims checkmate, and the game is over. There's no moves left. There's a painting that once hung in the Louvre. It's not there anymore. It got sold, I guess, in the 90s, according to Google. This painting is called Checkmate. And I got it to put up here on the screen. Hopefully you can see that. It might be a little dark. So this painting shows two chess players. Clearly, one one player here is Satan, uh, who appears to be arrogantly confident in himself. The other is a man who looks panicked and tired and at loss. If Satan wins, he gets the man's soul. Now, years ago, there was a tour group going through the museum. And in this group was a world chess champion. I guess they call them grandmasters, according to Google. So as they came up to this painting, the tour guide explained that this is the artist's rendering of a man who has lost his battle with Satan. Checkmate. With that, the group moved on. But the chess champion was captivated. He just kept staring and staring at the painting. He didn't follow the group. And a bit later, the man realized, hey, the, the other guy's not here. Uh, so the tour guide goes back to find him and get him back to the group and finds him still staring at the painting. And he says, you know what? I have been staring and staring at this painting. You know, I'm a world chess champion. I'm a grandmaster, actually. It's my life. And I don't say this to flaunt it, but not everyone might see what I see when I look at this painting. When you all moved on, I looked at the devil's face and I looked at the man in desperation, but then I noticed something amazing on the chessboard. That man thinks he's lost, but his king has one more move. So here's the thing you need to understand about our atonement in Jesus as I conclude this morning. It is meaningless without the resurrection. It's just a story that ends in death. Jesus was just a really good guy or a good teacher or or whatever. But the resurrection is why Jesus changes everything. Satan's goal is to make you doubt that. 
He knows he's already lost. But he's acting like he's going to win to try and deceive as many people as he can. So look at this painting again. He's not staring at the board. He's staring at the man, hoping he doesn't notice that his king still has a move. It's a bluff. He knows it. And the angel in the background knows it too. He's looking at the man as well. It's a bluff. Satan does the same thing to us. He tries to isolate us, to load us with guilt and a feeling of helplessness, like we still wear, bear the weight of our sin. He tries to make us still feel like we are slaves to the sin that Jesus has freed us from, like we are too wretched to be made into new creations, too dirty to be made clean, or too prone to sin for forgiveness to matter. But the truth is, our sin has been atoned for, and we are free. Our sin is paid for completely and fully. And by doing so, Jesus has also freed us from the power of sin over our lives. We're no longer slaves to it. We are given the power to deny it, to control it, and to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. We may stumble and fall along the way, but we can take comfort in knowing that those trips and falls have also been atoned for. The problem is sin. The need is for atonement. Jesus fills that need completely, wholly, and permanently. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.